We're continuing our series in Psalm 23 that really launched out with a, a sermon from John 21. But if you didn't notice, the theme of John 21 was about being a shepherd or letting Jesus shepherd us, and so it's connected. And in that week, we talked about a motivation that we have for all of life, for all of mission, and that is the love of Jesus. And really, even more so, the motivation of His love for us. There's lots of different ways and things that we are called to do in this life, but all of these things will pass away. But Jesus' love for us and our love for Him is what matters the most. And we want to always be bringing ourselves back to that. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Who am I looking to to fulfill what only Jesus can fulfill? And how is He enough? And so last week we looked at the beginning of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and we talked about how that this powerful image or metaphor can help us do that, and we're going to talk a little more about that today. This morning we'll be in the first three verses, so if you would stand with me in reverence of the Word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You may be seated. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We say with Jesus and His prayer for us that Your Word is truth. And we ask with Jesus His prayer for us that You might sanctify us in that truth. We ask today, God, not for mere information, but for the truth that sets us free. Only you, Holy Spirit, know those pockets of bondage in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies. But we're believing you now for that healing, for that freedom, for that forgiveness, for that deliverance. We know this is impossible with men, but we know all things are possible with you. So we say do it, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Changed the name, but my friend Jennifer was a hoarder, and I want to propose that maybe you are too. It's not a person that lives around here, and what I mean by that, you see, Jennifer was a person who I counseled with many, many years ago in a totally different situation and state, and she not only was a kleptomaniac, which if you don't know that is, it's somebody who steals, but they do it out of a compulsion. They don't really need to do it, which is kind of a thrill or something that's rooted in their story. But that's the reason that she came to me. But in the middle of our time of counseling, what I found is that she was not only a kleptomaniac, but she was also a hoarder. And not just a hoarder of stuff, like piling up magazines or newspapers or food, in her, or food cans in her house, but she was actually a hoarder of food. So she found little places in her house just to put candy bars or loaves of bread or different types of things. And, and while that may seem strange, the thing that may make it seem even stranger is at least compared to me and my family at the time, she was wealthy. Like she had, no, she had plenty of food in the pantry and plenty of money in the bank. And this was not just a, a case of curiosity. It was really sad. Because she felt not just a deep brokenness, but a, a deep bondage, like this does not make any sense. 
How can I have everything I need but continue to live as if I'm lacking? It, it led her to stay in a self-protective mode of being. This readiness, this anxiety, this almost adrenaline rush from living like this, but not just a reactiveness, but a, a proactive self-protection that was not rooted in any reality around her. But in this deep, subconscious, unconscious, call it whatever word you're thinking about, this fear that I will not have enough. This fear that she needed freedom from. And we might think, how irrational that you would have food hidden in your sock drawer when you have plenty of food in the cabinet or plenty of money in the bank. But what I want to propose to us as I started is we can all find ourselves living a life that becomes frantic, that becomes anxious, because we think in some area of our life that we're not going to have enough. That we're going to be abandoned. That we're going to be forsaken. That we're really not loved. That we're really not welcomed. That we really don't belong. That we're really not accepted. And we walk around with this anxiety, this fear, and sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. Sometimes we find ourselves, if we're honest, playing chess with life and chess with the other people in our life and chess with the other sort of institutions or groups we're a part of. Like, ooh, I bet I know what they're doing now. Oh, I bet I know what move they're going to make next. We're a hoarder. We're just so afraid. We don't trust. We have our self-reliant, self-protective schemes and strategies so that we stay safe. And they're not just reactive, they're proactive. We don't even know it. It drives our life. It's the filter through which we see everything and filter everything and evaluate things. This fear of lacking. And it becomes a prison where we insist we have to live in this prison to be free. I have to make this much money. Which means I have to have this kind of job. I have to have this kind of understanding about everything or everyone. I have to have this knowledge. I have to have this plan. I have to have this extra stored away. Even if... On a paper, signed by God, he says, I'm enough. This is a powerful fear. This is something that I've wrestled with in my life in these past several months. Do I really believe that God is enough? And do I really believe that I have enough? And do I really believe in Him that I am enough? I don't want to live in reactive, self-protective management of my life and relationships. I want to be free from that. I don't want you to live in self-protective, reactive management of your life and relationships. I have so much fear going back to that, and I go back to it all the time. But I want you to hear this as one sort of sin, sinful, wounded, 
bound brother this morning, not, not just as a preacher. That God has good news for us that we do not have to live like this. We don't have to live as hoarders who have everything we need. The good news of the kingdom of Jesus this morning is that we can live a life without lack. We can learn to be discipled increasingly to experience that life without lack in the loving, sufficient enough provision of the Lord. How do we do this, though? A few ways we're going to tackle this. The first thing is by an, we do this by an exploration of why we choose to live that way, right? And even if we don't choose to live that way, why we might say we find ourselves living that way. So remember, we don't have the subscript up here, but if you look in your Bible, if you have one, if you don't, you can trust me on this or go check it later. It says a Psalm of David. We talked about last time how that's actually in the text in the original Hebrew. David here is writing this, and David is making a bold claim. He is saying, I shall not want. I have enough. I have everything I need. I will not lack. But he's saying that not as some poet or theologian sitting in a room trying to, to write good poetry or, or make good theology. He's saying it as a real person with a real lived experience. David is claiming that because the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel is his shepherd, he is not going to be left lacking in what he needs. He is not going to be deficient. He will never be found not having enough. That's a bold claim. Right, we run right over Psalm 23. Point one is us saying, I don't know if I believe that. David, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. I don't know if I believe that. I might believe it in my, my theology statement. I don't know if my body believes it. I don't know if my heart believes it. It's a bold claim. We know the highs of David's life, Goliath, all this stuff, chosen as a kid. But what about the lows? You know, David lived a lot of his life, even after he was anointed to be king, running from Saul. Yeah, I, I can't remember this for sure, but I'm just grabbing it out of thin air. I think it was some 20, 30 years between David's anointing as king by Samuel and between his actual inauguration as king. Now, that's a long time to wait for God to fulfill His promise, isn't it? We don't like three days or three weeks or three months before we get our situations resolved, don't we? Try 30 years. We know the story of Bathsheba and Uriah, David's adultery and then his conspiracy to murder, what led to death. And we know later in David's life, David's son Absalom is going to publicly humiliate his father in front of all the city. And David will not find himself on the run from a rival king, but from his own son. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't know. Now, a quick note on want, if you hadn't picked this up. You might get confused, but through the English translation. This is not saying the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not desire. It's a big difference, right? This isn't a call for you to shut down desire and longing. 
like the Lord is my shepherd, now I'm like a comatose robot, and that's spirituality. No, the Lord is my shepherd, it's saying what we've already said, but it's saying, it's saying I will not lack. I'm going to have enough. He's going to meet my needs. I mean, just read the Psalms. Just go read the Psalms of David today. This dude has a lot of desires. He's got a lot of desperation. And some might say at times, he's a guy who's really depressed. But in the middle of his desperation, his depletion, his depression, he still can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. This is what he says. And when David did not believe this, that's where he found himself running to all the wrong things. Doing all the wrong things. You guys maybe have seen these movies. I tried to look it up and find it. I should have asked one of y'all. But y'all know the movies where the people are running and the ground's like falling out beneath their feet behind them? I can't remember if it's Lord of the Rings, if it's Shrek, if it's Indiana Jones. Maybe it's all of the above, right? And I, you know, they're just running and it's either the bridge or the rocks and they're as fast, every step they take it falls behind them. And maybe it's in all these movies and I bet it's in your imagination right now because we've seen it somewhere, right? Yeah, I got some head nods. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about because it's such a thrilling scene, isn't it? It's this adrenaline rush. Like if I slow down in this area, I'm, I'm dead. And so we're hanging on the edge of our seats. It's a really exciting movie scene to watch. You want to know what it is? It's a really exhausting way to live your life. As if I have got to be the one who makes sure the ground continues to be under my feet. Some of us can resonate with that. Relationally, i got to keep running in this relationship. If, if I can't make sure they still like me and have right feelings about me, it's, it's just going to fall apart. Professionally, i got to keep running. i got to keep running professionally. i got to keep working harder. Financially, i got to keep running. And then here's the big one. Religiously, right? Churchily. That's not a word. i got to keep doing all the right stuff. Right? I won't be loved anymore. I won't be welcomed anymore. I won't really belong anymore. Or I want to be in the inner circle. I want to be known as one of the special disciples. It's just exhausting. It's living a life as if you lack. You have to provide for yourself. But we have to receive Psalm 23 in light of David's whole story. And we have to re receive it in light of our stories. So let that wash over your life right now. I don't know how you do that best. If you close your eyes, if you take just a second. But I'm serious. We're going to practice it right now. Think about your life. Think about those areas where you, where you just honestly don't know how it's going to work out. And just hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now be honest, how does that make you feel? What's the story you're telling yourself? You know what I think some of us probably think? If we're honest, we probably think, to use the trendy word, that God is gaslighting us. Right? 
God, that does not feel like I should not want. And you're making me feel crazy right now, like I'm the one not in touch with reality. Maybe you're the one not in touch with reality. I mean, didn't it lack in my child? Didn't I lack in my childhood when this happened to me? Didn't I lack in when I wanted to change my life and I still find myself embroiled in this sin? Don't I lack because this, this lies just wedged into my brain and I just can't get rid of these thoughts and I can't get rid of this, this way of seeing the world? Didn't I lack when my marriage fell apart? Didn't I lack when my friendship fell apart? When that church hurt me or that church is hurting me with that betrayal, with those lies? And when I feel like that, what I, when I feel that lack and that lack of trust in God, I've got some things I run to. And this summer as I meditated over this psalm literally every single day, these were some ways that came to my mind how I do this. When I feel like I lack, or I live as if I lack, I start to be, these are all M's, good preacher, alliteration. All right, there we go. There are me trying a moment to just let you take a deep breath because I know that was heavy what just happened. So just deep breath. Uh, managing. When I feel like deep down I lack and I got to make sure the, the ground stays under my feet, if I don't keep running, I manage. If I don't manage this situation, if I don't manage this relationship, then guess what I'm going to lack? I'm going to lack security. That's what I tell myself. Then I can be manipulative. And sometimes I'm doing these things and I don't even know it until I think on it later. If I'm just straight up honest, then guess what I believe I'm going to lack? I won't really be understood. And so I've got to manage because I, do, I, I know I'm going to lack being understood. Or I will medicate. I'll find some way to numb myself to reality. Because I say, if I don't numb this, I'm going to lack comfort. And that can take, take root in our lives, not only through the classic ways we think of, like lusting or literal medication, but it can, we can use good things, like learning even, right? I'm going to go distract myself with a theology textbook, right? Just, I just want to numb myself, because I will lack comfort if I don't. Then there's materialism. So I got to buy things, right? If, if I don't own this thing or I don't have this thing I'm pursuing, I'm going to lack purpose in life. I'm going to lack drive and ambition. Or I will mope. That is, instead of sharing my sadness with other people and inviting them into it and taking responsibility for it, I believe if I don't mope around, then I will lack being seen, right? Nobody will see me unless I mope. And then this is similar to managing, but I will make things happen because if I don't take control, guess what I will lack? I will lack safety. And then the last M of these seven is if managing, manipulating, medicating, materialism, moping, and making things happen don't work, guess what I can just be? I can just be mean. Because guess what? If I'm not mean, then I will lack being heard. Y'all might think I'm crazy, but I'm just telling you, that's my heart. That's just about me, what this summer meditating on this and wrestling with it. 
Where's God in all this? Well, Psalm 23 might not be flowing out of my heart in these times, but the good news is God is here to let it flow into my heart and into your heart. He's still here for you. You know what God doesn't do that somebody might have done to you in your life? He doesn't say, what's wrong with you? Who? Pete and your cornflakes, or I'm the other inappropriate probably sayings. I think my, my, in my family it was, who got your panties in a wad? Right? Get up. Get to work. Get to running. Maybe that's appropriate sometimes, but I think we think God's like, get it together. So what, is it, what do we read here? We don't read here of somebody who leaves us and shames us and guilts us in this. A good shepherd who loves us and provides for us. So we got to move from exploration of why we have such a hard time really believing this, if we're honest, to a participation in Psalm 23 in light of the reality of our exploration of why we live as lack. What's the first thing here? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David can say this even in the face of his real lived experience because of the who that he's talking about. The Lord who is enough. The king. This, this language of shepherd and king would have been together. David was a shepherd and David was a king. And the king was the sovereign one who had the ability to supply the needs. It's why Paul will say in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. The, the fancy $5 term here, if you want it, is God's aseity. His self-sufficiency. We can trust that we will have a God that, doesn't, that will not leave us lacking because He is a God who does not lack. He's got everything He needs. And so this is important because it's not I shall not desire and I shall not need, it's I shall not lack. We are certainly dependent beings and we always will be. But He is not. So us being a people who do not lack is not going to be a people who become independent. It's very important. Lack is met in Him first before from Him. He is enough. Secondly, David makes this bold claim based on his lived experience because not only is the who enough, but the what is enough. So we see here in verse 2 that he makes us lie down in green pastures and he leads us beside still waters. Now you can go find a bunch of YouTube videos that try to say, oh, there really weren't green pastures. It was just these little stalks. Maybe that's true, whatever. But anyway, you can go check that out and fact check me on it. But whatever the case... He's saying He's going to provide for me what I need to eat and He's going to provide for me a safe place to lay down. And then He's going to provide for me something to drink and it's going to be still water so it's not going to be i got to be afraid, right? i got to live life like I'm about to die, I'm about to die, I'm about to not have enough, I'm about to not have enough, about to be forsaken, about to be let down. No, it's still waters. If I do fall in, I can just get right back out. But notice here, what is the assumption? Remember, I shall not want, as I'm not, I shall not need. Why do you need green pastures? Because you have a need, you're hungry. And you need a safe place to lay down and rest. 
Why, why do you need still waters? Because you need to be able to get a drink, you have a need, a thirst, and you don't need to be swept away with the current. It's very important. You will continue to be hungry and thirsty in literal and metaphorical ways. But He will meet your need. To not lack is to know He will and does take care of you. Next thing, why can David say this? Not just because of the who and the what, but because of the why. Notice verse 3, He restores my soul. When the Bible uses this term soul, it's not talking just about the, really the immaterial part of us. The soul is another word. It's just a way of saying your whole self. Sometimes it's even translated as life. It's, it's, your, it's your spirit, your heart, your will. It's your thoughts. It's your feelings. It's, it's your social relationships. It's, your envir- it's the whole of what makes up who you are. What's the assumption? The only people who need their soul restored are the people who have their soul depleted. Right? So, the expectation of living a life without lack is not that we will never need to be restored. No, we will need it often like we see David does in the Psalms. But we can say, I shall not want because we know He is the one who will restore our soul. You will get depleted. And more on this maybe later. But when we get to verse 4, which we're not talking about, they remember this, the sheep is going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And that same sheep in this same passage will be the one to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the who, the what, the why, but he can also say it because of the how that is enough. The end of verse 3, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That could also be translated, He leads me in the right paths. I don't think they're really that much different. But it's important to see these are paths that are paths where He directs us, but they're also paths where He corrects us. It's It's the right path to take. What's the assumption behind this? I don't know where to go. Right? In Cassie's prayer, that God, your God is not the God of confusion, but I still feel confused. That's not in contradiction here, right? We have a shepherd who we're often going to say, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do next. I don't know what the right path is. I don't know what the righteous path is. He will lead us. He will lead us. What I want to propose to us is maybe we want to read these verses as a way to get us somewhere in life where we don't need God anymore. The anti-Psalm 23 is, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have any more needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I don't have any more longings or desires. The anti-Psalm is, the Lord is my shepherd, thank you very much, I don't need you to be my shepherd anymore. (laughs) Thank you very much, I want you just to do the stuff for me so that now I can get on with my life. But the gospel here is that God is enough in our need. You think about that mom who has everything in her purse or bag or backpack at all times for their kids. And that little kid is just like, I don't know what's going on. Ah, 
I would starve were it not for this lady. You know? Because it's, it's not what you have, it's who you're with. I probably can't do it right, but there is a great story of this Jose's uh, on the plane, the saga of Debbie's provision of salami. Go and find Jose and have him tell you this epic story of motherly provision. But they're all hungry. I'm embarrassing him. And, and she's, she's ready. She just pulls out this giant sausage or whatever, right? Let's eat. And when I, I was thinking about this verse, I just kept thinking about that. Like, here we are. We don't got, any, we don't got what it takes. We don't, we don't have enough. And here Mama just whips it out. Eat. Enjoy. Maybe that's fish crackers for you instead of salami. We bring with us great need, but He brings with Him great provision. And we can't just explore why this is hard to believe. We've got to participate with Him in how He engages our lack. A couple things on this before the final point that is always the best news and the most important is we've got to see he engages our lack personally and temporally not eternally and timelessly you know what I want I want him to just take care of my problems now I want him to make me a document or you know download and I go out in my mailbox every morning and I, I get the the mail out and I read it like this is what I'm supposed to do this is how I'm going to meet your needs and you know, that's not how God works because He really, really loves us and He really, really wants to, to walk with the shepherd. His provision is not timeless. In a sense it is, but it's also temporal. It's present. That's a lot scarier, isn't it? Because we're running and we know the ground is falling out. But we're just trusting every step we take, God's going to put ground under our feet. That's, that's what we call faith. Fiducia. It's the reformers talked about. Not just, in, in, not just content and not just assent, but trust. Trust. Faith doesn't make things happen. Faith doesn't create reality. That makes faith a work. Faith simply receives and trusts. It is passive. And we're not good at being passive. It almost feels wrong, right? Just to receive, God, what do you have for me right now? I want to know what you're going to have for me tomorrow. No. Give us this day our daily bread. He does it intimately, not ideally. And he gives us some S's here, the letter S, letter of the day, Sesame Street, to go with our M's. So we fear we're lack, we're doing all these things, managing, manipulating, medicating, being mean, whatever it is. Here's what he wants you to see, right? He's not saying, get your panties out of the water. Here's what he wants you to know. 
you are secure. You're going to have enough in this desert. I got you. I know you don't know what's coming. I, don't, I know you don't know what ha- just happened. I, don't, I know you don't really know where you are, what's going on. I got you. You're secure. I'll make you lie down in green pastures. I'll lead you beside still waters. And guess what? You're not just secure. You're seen. You might feel super lonely right now. Like you... But I see you. I'm the good shepherd. I keep you in my sight line. Later on, I'm going to give my son this parable to tell you like, you know, you think you're the one that nobody really is not as welcome or belongs and you're going to wander off. And guess what? I love the one. The wandering one. I give my life for you. I see you. And He wants to soothe you. Not just tell you, believe this better. He wants to calm you. He's here to comfort you. And and I think that's what happened. This psalm kind of answers itself. When I find myself going into all those weird directions and my mind just feels like it's going to explode, it may not help you, but this psalm is its own answer sometimes. I I just read this psalm. I've got it memorized. I want you to memorize it too. If you don't mind, you don't have to, but I'm just highly recommending it. And just say it real slowly. Okay, thank you, God, for soothing me. For settling me down. You know, some of you might feel guilty for not being anxious, or you feel anxious about not being anxious. The Good Shepherd does not want us to live that way. And that's not a guilt trip phrase. He loves us. Some of you don't have children. A lot of you don't. When you have children, like, like, I wouldn't want my child to just live like there's not going to ever be enough. He wants you to know He's enough. You're going to have needs, desires, longings, confusion. He's not going to leave you lacking. You're secure, you're seen, you're soothed, and you're safe. You're safe. We saw this last week from John 10. There's a real enemy in a real world out there, but He will not let anything snatch you from His hand. Aren't those why we do all those elms? Aren't that why we live this frantic, fearful, distrustful life? Is because we, we just want those things, don't we? And he says, they're yours. They're yours. Take some time this week doing what we did last week, considering, participating, imagining yourself in these first three verses. This is not pretend. Breathe yourself into this reality. And do it for 30 years. Be patient with yourself. Can we really trust this? So we've explored, we've participated, and the last point that always leads us to the Lord's table is we want to hear an authentication that this is, I can trust this. You know, I'm nervous. Got me a little further from my uh, protest in point one. 
But I need, some, I need to know. I need to know. You're asking me to trust a lot. Dave, we're back to the metaphor here. David bases his bold claim on this bold image. This is a mangled, mysterious, paradoxical, prophetical metaphor. The Lord as shepherd. The capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, is, is who? He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the one whose ways are higher than our ways. No, and we miss this because we're so familiar with this song. He's a shepherd. Do you realize this would have been like blasphemy? You know why? Yahweh's the holiest, the highest of the highest. Guess professionally in the world what shepherds were. They were the lowliest of the low. That's why we say he came to the lowly. Right? Literally, when Jesus' birth is announced, it's to whom? To shepherds. And that's a big deal because it wasn't to kings. Someone might say, reading this in that ancient Near Eastern culture, how dare you associate Yahweh with the shepherd? I want to give you a second to make the association in your head so it sticks with you. So I think you can start to go there. Could the High and Holy One become a shepherd? To me, in my life, in my struggle, in my loneliness, in my hurt, in my sin, entered the Incarnation. This text is poetry, but in a way it's also prophecy. We can't read it all, but if we turn to Isaiah 53... What we find here is that the servant of the Lord, the servant king, will become the servant of the sheep who go astray. If we read through that chapter, we see he's going to lack a lot from what meets the eye. This is the kind of life of felt lack he will live. He will be, have no majesty that we should look upon him, no beauty. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I just don't feel beautiful. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. People hide their face from him. He's despised. He's esteemed not. What does that mean? He's not seen, right? And, and this, this eternal God shepherd becomes man. And it's announced as He comes on the scene, Behold the Lamb of God. The High and Holy Shepherd becomes a sheep. A sheep. And He knows what it's like to feel all the temptation to think that we're lacking. And if you think I'm off base on this, What's the psalm before Psalm 23? All the great math students in here. It's Psalm 22. And how does Psalm 22 start? It starts with the subscript. 
not the first verse, a psalm of David. And then it says these words that we're going to hear again in the Bible. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The same dude's writing both of them. He's screaming, I feel like I'm lacking. I feel like this is not true. And Jesus will go to the cross and those will become His words. He will know what it's like to feel forsaken. And we will know that we have a shepherd who is not sending us just to the slaughter, but one who went to the slaughter for us. Why would it, and, and the psalm doesn't end. And I want to propose it doesn't end on the cross either. Psalm 22 ends this way. We'll just go to verse 26, but we could, or verse 25, and I won't read to the end like I was going to, I'll just read it. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. From forsaken to front for you, from you comes my praise. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Why would a good shepherd lead his sheep through the valley of death? You ever ask that question? Somebody raised that this week. You're, are you ever like, why would you even do that? Right? Let's take the interstate. There's exits and food. Why do we have to go through the valley? A good shepherd would only lead his sheep through the valley if it's the only way to get them where they need to go. And where did we need to go? Resurrection. New creation. And that's how the story, Psalm 23, is going to end. And that's how the story of Jesus ends. And that's how your story ends. And the good news is that story is not just a not yet story. It is ours now. Now. Romans 8 says it best. Verse 36, as, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what it feels like, doesn't it, sometimes? But Paul, through the Spirit, says, no. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure, here's, this is talking about all the ways we think we're going to lack. It ain't going to happen, though. He's risen, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, nor all that list I said about my childhood, nor all that list about I said about my problems with sin, nor all that list about my fears of the future and abandonment and being forsaken and not really being loved and belonged and welcomed, nothing else in all creation will ever be able to separate us apart from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the good news. And it's ours. It's money in the bank. 
We don't have to hoard. We don't have to, it's, it's hard, hard to lead distrustful sheep. Jesus says. But he says, I'm not, I don't want to shame you and tell you to get together. I just want to love you into that trust. You, you can be nervous. You can wander away. You can get your head stuck in the fence. I love you. And nothing's going to separate me from you. Jennifer was a hoarder, but she didn't have to be. And so you and I are, but we don't have to be. This week, beginning as we come now to this table, let's receive that. And let's imagine what it's like to live into that. You're going to need some time for that this week. Don't just run away, right? We don't do this Sunday morning thing, church, check off the box. Take some space this week to be with the shepherd and let him speak into your experience and your doubts and your fears. Do that in your fight clubs if you're in with one and it comes time to share your heart. Say, that's where I'm having a hard time with this. In your missional community life, you'll have an opportunity to practice it together in community, right? Not in a teaching situation or conversation like you're going to live it and you're going to feel it. And that's why we do what we do, right? And you're like, I feel like I'm lacking. Tell me again how you're enough. And then come back next week and we'll remind each other of this good news again that we can learn to increasingly live and experience a life without lack in the loving provision of the Lord. Let's pray and we'll go to the Lord's table and taste and see that provision. Father, we thank you for the good news of the kingdom of Jesus that is ours, that we are made new, that all things are being made new. May we receive it. May we know that he who gave his son for us and did not spare him will now graciously give us everything we need. In Jesus' name, amen.